For a lot of people, they think, why would my shampoo make me fat? That's a ridiculous concept. But if we look at the mechanism of action and we say, yeah, but it's not ridiculous to think that pharmaceuticals make us fat because we all know it does. It's not a debatable point. Like we all have experienced it or have seen it happen. And so I use that as a point of connection to say like, well, we already recognize that this is an issue there. If the same mechanism of action is resulting from exposure to these obesogenic chemicals, then why wouldn't the result be the same? Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Ever wonder how toxic chemicals affect your hormones and critical organs? Or ever wondered what to do after you've been exposed to these toxins, along with how quickly you can remove them from your body? But we are going to get into these questions and much more with my special guest and environmental toxins expert, Laura Adler. Laura is going to drop some important knowledge on environmental chemicals and hormones and what every woman needs to know. Now, I have to admit, this is a topic that I have been interested in for a long time, especially as a woman's hormone expert and someone who has personally struggled with estrogen dominance due to chemical exposure, among other things. Many of my readers and listeners have also expressed a lot of interest in this topic because they themselves have struggled with hormonal imbalance and trying to figure out where the root cause of this imbalance is coming from. Now, I am excited to introduce to you, Laura, because you are going to love the information she's bringing to the table. But quickly, I want to quickly introduce her to you before we get started. Now, Laura Adler is an environmental toxin expert and educator and a certified holistic health coach who helps health practitioners better understand the links between environmental chemicals and their impact on disease states from weight gain and diabetes to thyroid disease and infertility so that they can better support their clients and patients. Her students also include healthy-minded consumers who are proactive about protecting themselves and their family's health and well-being. She takes a practical and real-world approach to dealing with toxins that is informative, accessible, actionable, and free from overwhelm. Check her out at lauraadler.com. Welcome, Laura Adler. I am so happy to have you on the show today. You are one of my favorite, favorite people. How are you doing, girl? I'm excellent. And you are one of my favorite people. So I'm excited to be here. Oh, my goodness. Well, everyone should know that you are literally my go-to environmental toxin expert. Anytime I have a question around what's going on, what may be happening with my patients, I know I can rely on you. But I want to have the amazing listeners today learn a little bit about your journey and really what inspired you to focus on this much needed and kind of scary area. Yeah, it's it's definitely got its doom and gloom side for sure. And it's actually not an area or a topic or a career that I sought out to do. It wasn't, as I jokingly say, like no little kid is in her room, like growing up and being like, ooh, one day I'm going to be an environmental toxins expert. Like that doesn't happen. But I was always interested in health and nutrition really since my early teens, which is, you know, I don't know that many teens that are into that stuff, but I was. And I wanted to be able to do something in that in that world. And so I spent almost 10 years in corporate sales stuff that was, you know, eh, not very exciting. 
And I always had this nerdy sort of passion for health and wellness and nutrition and food. And so I went to school, I got certified as a holistic health coach, I started seeing clients. And what I found in doing that work was that most of my clients were coming to me for weight loss. Weight gain is a significant problem here. So that's what most of my clients wanted help with. And we worked through all the protocols and they did all the right things. And some of them had great success and others had literally no success at all. And as a new health coach, that really kind of stuck in my craw and I wanted to figure out what am I missing What's, what's missing that I'm, from what I'm doing. And so I dove into the research around resistant weight loss. And that's where the door to environmental health opened for me. And I learned in doing that research that there's all these chemicals that we're exposed to every single day in small amounts, just through living our normal lives, that not only can alter our metabolism in ways that lead to weight gain, but that can jack our hormones, that can lead to cancers, thyroid disorders, autoimmune conditions, digestive issues, allergies, asthma, autism, learning disability, like the whole gamut of everything that people are struggling with health-wise. And I was fascinated, mm. totally fascinated, and would started to talk to my health coaching colleagues and then all of these other practitioners in different modalities out in the world and realizing that there's a huge information gap both for consumers and for health practitioners in understanding what are these links. And that's how I got started. I just I was so fascinated and super passionate about this topic. And I have been teaching about environmental health since 2012. My goodness. Yeah. I mean, that's that's definitely why you're, you're such a phenomenal expert. And I know a lot of people, this is an area, I mean, we know enough to be dangerous. <laughs> we, we know that there's definitely toxins and we can feel the effects of what's going on in our bodies, but I know that we don't understand what's going on. So can you talk specifically about the scale of the problem around these chemicals and why, why are we seeing more and more of a discussion about them literally like as we speak? So there's a couple of things going on here. And one is the fact that we are being exposed to chemicals isn't something that's brand new. It's just something that we're talking about more and more right now. And the reality is that we are all exposed to chemicals. So in the United States, and these figures sort of differ in different parts of the world, but in the United States, there's about 84,000 chemicals that are registered for use in this country. Not all of them are maybe act, are actively being used, but that's how many are registered. And the vast majority of those chemicals have never been adequately tested for safety. It's just not been part of the legal requirement for chemicals coming to market. And so what that means is that the ingredients that make up the products that we're buying and using every day and that are in our drinking water and in the air that we breathe and in the food that we're eating are included in those mixtures, so to speak, are chemicals that newer research is finding has negative health implications. And these chemicals that are in the products that we're buying and using every day and the food and the water and all that stuff easily migrate out of those products and into our bodies. So 
the Centers for Disease Control does uh, regular human biomonitoring. That means that they're testing for levels of chemicals in the population, and they are routinely finding hundreds and hundreds of chemicals inside our bodies. And so this is evidence that the chemicals are migrating out of the products that they're used in and ending up into our bodies. So that's sort of the first side of this, what I call the landscape that we're looking at, right? So we have chemicals in commerce. They've not been tested for safety. Out of those 84,000, there's about 200 that have a robust safety testing profile and the rest don't. And so we know that they're ending up inside our bodies. And now we have this field of research called environmental health, which is looking at now that we recognize that these things are inside us, what might the implications be in terms of our health outcomes? And in that research, this growing body of research that's been really blossoming just in the last maybe 15 years, 20 years. So it's a real, relatively new field of environmental health. We're finding that this sort of grand experiment that we're all participating in unwillingly, I might add, that the data from this experiment isn't really that great and that these chemicals that we're being exposed to are being linked either in animal studies and or in some cases also in human data that we're seeing is linked to just about every chronic health condition that we are experiencing. And so one, we have this emerging field of research. Two, and that's sort of why we have awareness. Two, we have the internet. And so we have the mom warriors, the mom bloggers, and all the University of Google people out there who are starting to question what's in the products that they're using. And because of this questioning happening on a broad scale, we're seeing product manufacturers out in the marketplace starting to create more products that appeal to those people who are looking for safer products. And so there's a general awareness that's blossoming. And then on top of that, we often have things like Flint, Michigan, right? The lead contamination in Flint, Michigan, which garnered national attention, global attention, and really shines the spotlight on some of the chemicals that we're being exposed to and people are recognizing, you know, there's obviously very detrimental health effects to lead exposure. And so all those things sort of in concert have really shifted the landscape. And so we have more people than ever who are aware that these things are an issue or might be an issue, or it's kind of just maybe even on the fringes of their thinking but it's out there. And so I actually think all of this is great because it means we're able to talk about environmental health issues at a level that we weren't able to do even six or seven years ago when I started doing this work. Mm. So it's really exciting. But the reality, like I said, is that we're all exposed to these low levels of chemicals every single day, day in, day out, just by living our normal everyday lives. And our goal here is to start identifying where those chemical exposures are happening so that we can start making changes around reducing those exposures whenever possible. But one of the things that I think is the most important sort of takeaway here is that the rates of chronic disease from cancers and autoimmune conditions in particular to learning disabilities, allergies, autism, gut issues, they're all increasing. And so too are the amount of chemicals that we're using and the amount of products that we're buying. And so there's a lot of correlation and overlap between the uptick of chemicals 
in society, which really sort of upticked after 1950s, and this uptick of disease. And so these graphs overlay so perfectly that environmental health and public health officials are starting to look at where is their connection here. So that's sort of the grand scale of this issue is that we're all being exposed and that there's a a significant contribution to the health challenges that all people are facing. Hmm. Well, one of the reasons why I was really excited to have you come on here, because I had an internal motive, is, you know, (laughs) as as a women's hormone expert, this was one of the areas that I focus on for my own hormones several years ago was the level of toxicity that I felt like I was experiencing. You know, I had very severe estrogen dominance, which so many women suffer from, and could relate it specifically to the things that I was being exposed to in my home, particularly personal care products. I was just slathering myself with with phthalates and parabens and fragrances and just, you didn't know, I grew up with that stuff. Yeah. And so I would love to, I even for my own personal benefit, because goodness knows, you know so much more about this than I do, but how are these chemicals affecting us as women regarding our hormones? And what are some of the, the health risks outside of even estrogen dominance that, that you're seeing due to this exposure? I'll nail all the points that I can, but this could be a 10 hour lecture know, if we wanted to be. So excited. All right. So not all of those 84,000 chemicals that I mentioned are in this category, but there are a large number of chemicals, hundreds of them, that are referred to as endocrine disrupting chemicals. So obviously, I'm sure that your listeners, if they're listening to a hormone related podcast, they're at least somewhat familiar with the endocrine system. Endocrine system really regulates everything in your body from metabolism and growth and development to sexual function, reproduction, sleep, mood, literally everything. And what's happening is that we have chemicals in our environment and in the products that we're using that end up in our bodies that mimic or block the role of natural hormones within the body. And many of these endocrine disrupting chemicals seem to mimic estrogen. So what's happening is that we're being exposed to these synthetic estrogens or xenoestrogens, which just means foreign estrogen, in our bodies. And so you're talking about things like estrogen dominance, which is an excess of estrogen. And we can start immediately seeing where environmental chemicals, in particular these synthetic estrogens, are coming into play. So a lot of people have heard of bisphenol A, BPA. It's a chemical that's used in certain types of plastics. It's used in cash register receipts. It's used in lining of cans inside of canned foods. What most people don't know is that BPA was developed in the 1890s, I think it was, 1891. And it was developed as a synthetic estrogen with the intention of using it for hormone replacement therapies. Hmm, I didn't know that. Yeah. So that's actually the history of BPA. It was designed as a synthetic estrogen, but in the application that they were looking to use it for, it wasn't strong enough. And so it kind of just went away. Well, went away into all of these other things that we touch every single day. <laughs> yeah. So then it's somebody figured out that we can repurpose this stuff and use it in plastics. Right. And it's got this great function in plastics. And so since the 1950s, when that happened, that's when we've seen this uptick in the use of BPA. But understanding that it was originally this chemical compound was designed as 
asynthetic estrogen sort of shines a light on why this is such a problematic compound. Yes. Oh my gosh. And so we're having these endocrine disrupting chemicals that are entering into our body. And because the endocrine system naturally is designed to respond to these really infinitesimally small levels of hormones, because that's how the body was designed, Synthetic estrogens are bioactive, meaning they have the ability to be bioactive and exert effects on the body at those really tiny doses that we're getting collectively throughout the products that we're using day in, day out. And so this is sort of why, from a hormone perspective, the topic of environmental chemicals is really so, so important. And I see a lot of people that are dealing with hormone issues and they're doing a lot of the things that are necessary to help to balance their hormones. But one of those things is, as you learned in your own situation at home, as you learned that we have to also turn our attention to the products that we're using and what we're possibly being exposed to at home and in all the places that we can actively address in our lives and start paying attention to that. So estrogen dominance is just one, but out-of-whack hormones can lead to diabetes, can lead to thyroid disease, autoimmune conditions like Hashimoto's, things like mood swings, fatigue, depression, endometriosis, uterine fibroids, excess weight, as I mentioned earlier, giant problem in this country, acne, insomnia, digestive issues, uterine and ovarian cancers, breast cancers, early onset puberty, infertility or subfertility. The list is really, really long, right? And so it's not just about estrogen dominance. It's literally about all of the chronic health issues because our hormones are, you know, they're the master regulator and thermostat in the body. And so when we're exposed to things that are throwing that out of whack, it can manifest in myriad symptoms for different people based on that person's sort of weak link, right? If somebody has a history of breast cancer and they're exposed to synthetic estrogens and their system isn't functioning properly, then that's their weak link. So it's really all encompassing. And so this is really why I think that it doesn't matter what somebody's health issue is, or even if they feel that they have a health issue, addressing exposure to these chemicals is really key for everyone. And absolutely agree with you on that. And what I would love to, to dive in a little bit deeper on the women hormone piece, and it's, it's a piece that you've touched on a little bit throughout this talk, is this concept of weight resistance. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that pathway? What's happening there? I, I have a good sense of around this correlation, this connection, but could you tell us a little bit about how is this happening in our bodies? Yeah, it's well, it's actually pretty complex. There's there's multiple pathways that the research is showing that these chemicals, these endocrine disrupting chemicals can result in weight issues or other metabolic disorders that can lead to weight issues like insulin resistance, for example. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just one pathway and the same chemical can actually work on multiple pathways at the same time. So one of the ways is through endocrine disruption, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. So, the, you know, the endocrine system, because it's regulating metabolism, if that system, if that's the weak link for us, if that gets knocked out of balance, then that on its own 
can lead to alterations in our metabolism that can lead to metabolic disorders like resistant weight loss, weight gain, insulin resistance, diabetes, and ultimately obesity. Also, another pathway or mode of action here is that a lot of the chemicals that we're exposed to every day are what are known as lipophilic chemicals. So that means that they're fat loving. That's what lipophilic means. And so these are chemicals that are attracted to fat and they hang out inside our body's fat tissues, our adipose tissue. And that's where they are sequestered by the body. And so there's this is actually a pretty brilliant defense mechanism that the body employs to stop those chemicals from freely circulating through the bloodstream. So it stores them in our body fat. But what happens is that becomes this sort of upward cycle of fat retention. Meaning if you have a lot of fat soluble chemicals in your body fat, that's then increasing the size of your body fat, it creates a larger container for you to store these chemicals, right? So that's, it's this sort of upward spiral of weight gain. That's the worst. Terrible. It is awful. Terrible. And I always tell people, we always blame our fat for this or that. I'm like, but just just add to the list, blame your fat for protecting your critical yeah. organs for all of the toxicity. Yeah. And it's sort of a double-edged sword because yeah. it's there for a reason, but adipose tissue, if it becomes large enough, becomes, it's considered an organ. It's considered an endocrine organ. And so it can actually be a source of internal exposure to toxins. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it can release, we're talking about now we've got fat is releasing estrogen. Yep. Then we're creating more dominance. We're creating more imbalance, leading to more potentially insulin resistance. I mean, we're talking about a an onslaught of spirals here. Yeah, it's not just one. And so one yeah. of the other modes of actions, and this one's pretty interesting, is that some of these endocrine disrupting chemicals, and there's actually a class of chemicals referred to as obesogens, specifically because of their ability to interfere with the mechanisms of metabolism, right? So these ones are specific to causing weight gain on these various I'm telling you, Laura, honey, you are the doom and gloom today, girl. I'll tell I you know. what. Well, so, but, but I'll, I'll, I'll definitely finish with gonna, some no doom and gloom. <laughs> I know there's a there's a light at the end of the tunnel here <laughs> for sure, but it's stuff is fascinating to me. It and is so, so fascinating. I did not know about obesogens until yeah. right this second. Well, so and here I'll blow terrified. your mind. No, don't be terrified. But let me blow your mind for a second. So okay, okay. we all know that there are certain pharmaceuticals that cause weight gain as a side effect. Mm -hmm. So yes. antidepressants, things like uh, Nexium and Prevacid, Clozapine, which is an antipsychotic. Everybody knows it. Everybody, for the most part, either has experienced or knows somebody who's experienced weight gain after being put on a prescription medication. And what the research shows into the mechanisms of action there is that those chemicals are activating what's called the PPAR gamma receptor. And this is the master regulator of fat within the body. And if this receptor gets activated, it does one of two things. Okay, actually, it can do both. If a cell in our body is in pre-development, a stem cell, right? So we always have regenerative stem cells in our bodies. This is normal. If you activate PPAR, what happens is Instead of, say, becoming a bone cell, those stem cells will become fat cells. So it changes the marching orders or the, the instructions for that cell. 
And it's often doing it at the expense of bone, which I find fascinating. So instead of becoming bone cells, it becomes a fat cell. And what this does is it increases the number of fat cells in the body. If a cell is already a fat cell and that PPAR gamma receptor gets activated, it can actually physically make that cell hold more fat. So this duo is that you have more fat cells and larger fat cells. And so that's how a lot of these pharmaceuticals are resulting in weight gain. They're activating PPAR gamma and they're changing the marching orders for our fat cells in our body. A lot of the obesogenic chemicals that we're exposed to activate PPAR exactly the same way. So for a lot of people, they think, oh, you know, why would my shampoo make me fat? That's a ridiculous concept. But if we look at the mechanism of action and we say, yeah, but it's not ridiculous to think that pharmaceuticals make us fat because we all know it does. It's not a debatable point. Like we all have experienced it or have seen it happen. And so I use that as a point of connection to say like, well, we already recognize that this is an issue there. If the same mechanism of action is resulting from exposure to these obesogenic chemicals, then why wouldn't the result be the same? Mm-hmm. That's some of what's happening on the, the weight gain and metabolic issue side. And so what our goal is, is that we want to start reducing our exposures. And what's amazing, and this is where the good news comes in, is that if we give our body the chance, it can actually eliminate a lot of these chemicals on its own. But the emphasis is on if we give it a chance, <laughs> which most of us aren't doing. <laughs> either because we're not avoiding our exposures in the first place, or we're not eating optimally from a nutrition standpoint, we're not drinking enough water, we're not pooping enough, we're not sweating enough. These are all the ways that our body naturally eliminates the the toxins that we're exposed to, or that our body creates as, as waste product. And what we want to do is if we can start easing the burden on the body, for example, of all the chemicals that we're exposed to, then what's inside of us has the opportunity to empty. So I'll give you an example. Pesticides, right? Pesticides in conventional food. These are linked to all kinds of health issues from neurodegenerative issues to reproductive issues to hormonal issues. A lot of them are synthetic estrogens or act as such in the body. And These are pesticides that are showing up in 95, 98% of people. So we know that they're in us. There's research that has looked at what happens when people switch from a conventional diet to a mostly organic diet, not even exclusively organic. And these studies have measured the metabolites of pesticides in the urine of test people. And what they found, and there's multiple studies that have found the same results, is that When people switch to a mostly organic diet, they can reduce the amount of circulating pesticides in the body by 90%, 80 to 90% in a three to five day window. That's it. Wow. That's all it takes, three to five days to dramatically drop the levels of pesticides in the body. What that's representative of is the fact that if we give it a chance, meaning if we stop, I mean, imagine a bucket with a hole in it and you're trying to drain the bucket, but you keep filling it up at the same time, well, the bucket's never going to drain, ever, right? And so this, all these chemicals that we're being exposed to is us filling the bucket. And if we can kind of slow down the amount of toxins that are coming in, then the bucket can drain more efficiently. And that's what this 
pesticide example is representative of. There's also another study uh, that was done on teenage girls called the Hermosa study that looked at what happens when people switch their personal care products, which I found fascinating. And researchers took a bunch of teenage girls and they switched their personal care products from, you know, whatever conventional stuff that they were using to ones that were free of phthalates and free of parabens, both of which are endocrine disruptors. And after a week, five days, the levels of the metabolites of those chemicals dropped by something like 30 to 35% in less than a week. Mm. That's, that's, that's slowing. Impressive. It's really impressive. And so what this tells us is that even though this news is scary, even though there's all kinds of things that we're being exposed to, if we focus our attention on these small and simple action steps, right? Reducing exposures, that's eating organic, buying safer personal care products, using safer household cleaners. And this is why I love the work around essential oils, because there's so many household cleaners that you can replace with really simple recipes using essential oils that are going to be one of the many things that we do to reduce our exposures to these synthetic chemicals. Absolutely. And that when we give our body the chance, it can detoxify a lot of these on its own. So Laura, honey, I wanted to, to dive into that because I'm so grateful to hear that. And I, I knew this research too, and not as much as you did, but I knew that just by making those simple changes, making over your personal care, your green cleaning, and specifically also what you eat, but are there things that we can do to speed up the process? I mean, clearly detoxification is such a huge topic. I myself have done several detoxes over the years, done my best to love my liver. <laughs> are there other things, you know, I just love, 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 just give my liver a big clean hug. What can we do to really move the needle, especially if well, I'm a woman who I, I know that I'm dealing with weight resistance due to toxicity or that my hormones are completely out of control. Yep. So I'm going to point first to a colleague of ours in this space, Dr. Walter Crinian, who's considered one of the foremost leaders in the environmental health space. And he talks about there being five steps to addressing all of this whole issue around toxins. Step one is avoidance, right? So that's meaning we got to reduce our exposures. Step two mm -hmm. is avoidance, Step three is avoidance. Step four is supplementation and step five is detoxification. And so it's a, it's a little cheeky, but what he's saying here is that avoidance is so important. That's the first step. It's the first three steps. It's the first three steps, right? <laughs> Emphasize that. Like it is the most powerful way to detoxify your body is reducing what's coming in in the first place. That's just logic, right? So from there, we move into supplementation. And this doesn't have to be supplements in terms of pills or things like that. It's really just about what, like you were saying, loving your liver and supporting the body. And I actually think that detoxing is something that we're act. I mean, it is something that we're actively doing every day. Every time you pee or poop or sweat, right. you are technically detoxing. But we want to be proactively supporting the body in allowing those detoxification pathways to function optimally. So what that means is we're eating as many dark leafy greens and cruciferous vegetables because those cruciferous vegetables help support the breakdown of environmental toxins, among other things, in the liver. The liver is our primary detox organ. So anything that we can do to support the liver 
and provide it with the building blocks necessary to usher these things out. So that means cruciferous vegetables, sulfur-rich vegetables like alliums, onions, leeks, things like that. Also selenium. So have a couple Brazil nuts every day. Selenium helps to detoxify mercury, among other things. Making sure that we're drinking our green teas, in particular, matcha. You matcha. know, we know, I know you love your matcha like I do. Yes. And I just finished my morning matcha cup, which I have literally every single day. Oh my goodness. I loved your Instagram pictures. I love all <laughs> your Instagram pictures, but I love your matcha pictures in particular. I Well, it's funny. I'm not even going to go off on this tangent, but I, every single day I'm like, Ooh, it's beautiful today. Should I take another picture? And even this morning I was like, you know how people have Instagram accounts for their cats? Maybe I should have one that's just photos of my matcha, but I love it. Well, I would, I would check it out, girl. Okay. Really? I'm, I'm, I'm privy to these pictures. Okay. There would probably be like 12 followers, but whatever. I still want to do it. Um, (laughs) so drinking your, your matcha tea, because it's an excellent nutrient dense drink that can help support the body's detox pathways, Mm -hmm. um, sweating. So go to a sauna, Mm -hmm. infrared sauna, dry sauna and sweat. Sweating is one of the most powerful ways to detoxify. Uh, and in fact, there's some chemicals that prefer that pathway and that includes heavy metals. So if you feel that you have heavy metal exposures, sweating it out is actually really important. I read years and years ago, long before I was ever interested in this subject, I read a National Geographic article. This was probably written in the early 90s that was about uh, mercury. And it was about how the Mad Hatter from Alice in Wonderland is called a Mad Hatter because mercury was used in the felting of wool hats. And exposure to mercury causes neurological problems. And so people who work in mercury mining at the end of every shift would actually have to go to the sauna to sweat it out of their body, which I thought was fascinating in the 90s. And clearly I was a nerd because in the 90s I was in high school and that stuff was fascinating to me then. So (laughs) apparently I haven't wandered too far from my core interests in life. But I think that when we can marry or couple these avoidance behaviors with really focusing in on supporting our detoxification pathways through good nutrition and lifestyle practices like sweating and like sleeping, for example, that's really important, then we can have a far more pronounced impact on our ability to address the toxins that we're exposed to. And it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be this big program that we do. It's just something that we do every single day. So we avoid plastics in the kitchen. We get rid of the fragranced items in our home, you know, the scented candles and the air fresheners and the Febreze and the laundry detergents. And it's, it's so gross. And it's, a, it's, you know, we don't do it overnight. As I say, like, we didn't get into this mess overnight, so we can't expect to get out of it. And we transition out of the use of these products, you know, at our own pace. And anything that you're doing to start reducing exposures is going to help. So it doesn't matter how slow or fast that you do it. I love it. Well, I wanted to, and I think these are very 
actionable. These are very easy to begin to implement. It doesn't, you're right, it doesn't fill all doom and gloom. And so with your expertise, there's one final question I want to ask. And what is, what is, and I, I don't know what you're going to say, so I'm always super excited to, to hear, but what is the one daily habit or the solution, natural solution, whatever that may be? I have a feeling now, actually, I know the answer, that you do every day that moves the needle to your health. Matcha. I knew Matcha, it. Girl. Matcha, girl. <laughs> Okay, so tell us a little bit about because you know clearly I've so for for the listeners I wrote a book on on matcha and you and I we have we have talked matcha and avocados oh my gosh we are like soul sisters oh yeah and for me that would probably be my daily habit <laughs> would God, be like I an know. avocado a day in my smoothie today it's it's all the things like the greens the essential oils the matcha the avocado I mean I'm I'm covering the gamut right here in this one little habit but talk a little bit about why matcha is the game changer for you. Well, honestly, it's because it's delicious and I'll drink it, right? Because, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of the things for me is I have to enjoy it. Like, don't make me drink something that's yucky tasting just because it's healthy. Like, I won't do it. Even some of the supplements that I'm supposed to be taking every day, I'm like, that's yucky. So I don't do it. And I just, I think that whatever it is that we're doing, it has to be something that we're willing to and happy to integrate into our regular lives. Because I've spent so much time over the last 10 years really actively eliminating the exposure sources whenever and wherever possible in my own home, I never really noticed an obvious difference with drinking matcha, except that I love it. It's a ritual for me. So I'm not a coffee drinker. Matcha is my go-to coffee, quote, in quotations there. But like I said, matcha is, and and you can speak to some of the super health benefits of this probably better than I can, but matcha is one of the greatest sources of antioxidants, particularly the EGCG, I think that's the right way Mm -hmm. to say it. And, And these antioxidants can help to deal with some of the free radical damage that's done by the chemicals that we're exposed to. So I just think it's an elixir, if you will, that can be something that's an enjoyable ritual as part of your daily routine. And I jack mine up, my matcha, I do a latte style with collagen peptides and vanilla and honey and coconut milk. It's like this delicious concoction that, oh, it's so good. If I could have 10 of them a day, I would, but one is my limit. I just think for me, it's my, my ritual. I don't think about it through the lens of detoxing anymore because now it's just something that I enjoy. But I sought it out or found it. And when I did the research into it and realized, oh, wow, this actually can help us to usher chemicals out of our bodies. And there's been some clinical research into the power of something like matcha, matcha green tea specifically, in ushering out some of the more persistent chemicals that we are exposed to and ones that live within our body fat. So I don't drink it for that reason, but I know that that reason is that thing is happening in the background. I drink it because I enjoy it. So that's my little. <laughs> I love it. You know, you're, you're, I'm loving all of it. I love, I love the ritual of it. One of the reasons why it's a habit of mine. I love all the benefits, same reasons for us. And you're right. I mean, although we do need to tackle this issue around toxicity inside of the body and our, and our toxic burden, but there's a lot of things that we can do that we can enjoy while we're doing that process. Right. And so matcha is one of those great, I mean, my gosh, the antioxidant count on, on matcha tea is just so incredible. It's through the roof. It's one of the top five most antioxidant 
antioxidant driven superfoods out there. And so anyway, we can go, oh my gosh, we could just go on and on about matcha. But before we do that, you have a wonderful gift that you're giving. I'm super excited for you to talk about that because let's be honest, we just touched the surface into what people can be doing every day and basically having tools to to work around this toxic exposure that we're dealing with every day. Uh, yeah, like I said earlier, I've been teaching about this issue since 2012. And my sort of flagship course is called Tools for Teaching Toxicity. And it's this excellent sort of self-paced DIY four-week exploration of this practical side of the conversation, meaning what are we being exposed to in and around our homes? That's what I consider to be the low-hanging fruit. Like, what is that stuff that is so important that every human being should be addressing the pesticides, the plastics, the food packaging, our cookware, our personal care products, and really walking through what are the issues there? What do we need to know? And then what do we start looking for instead as means of reducing our exposure? And I've had over 2000 people come through this class since 2012. We do these amazing monthly Q&A calls that you have access to forever. We've got this really excellent Facebook group community. I call us the nerd herd because we all love nerding out on this stuff. So if anyone in your audience loves nerding out on this stuff, they are in good company there. And so I have that course, which I think would be the best place to start. And people can check that out at teachingtoxicity.com. And I've actually put together a promo code for your audience where they can get 25% off that course. And that doesn't expire. And it's just for your people. And I'm just using the promo code of Marisa. Oh, wonderful. Just your name. And so anybody who wants to check that course out, I'm happy to extend that 25% off to you guys and would encourage you to check it out because if this conversation is one that you're really feeling that you want to tackle, you know, it's I call it the final frontier. A lot of people start with nutrition and they get on the wellness path that way. And this is what we do next. Like once that stuff is dialed in and even if it's not dialed in, this is, this is where we go next. I love it. Thank you so much, honey. Again, you guys are going to be able to find the website, the URL in the show notes. You can also go to alaraadler.com um, as well and check her out. She's got such incredible information. You are going to love it. Again, if you do want to do a, a deeper dive, and clearly I know a lot of women, a lot of mamas out there definitely concerned for themselves and their children. This is going to be the place that you want to start because she is so dialed in. I mean, my goodness, this interview has been so much fun. Well, honey, I thank you so much for coming on. I loved everything we talked about, especially your daily habit. I just love, love, love it. And I just wanted to say, I hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you. All right, honey. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. One of my favorite insights about today's interview was how quickly we can reduce our toxic load by simply removing toxic cleaners, skincare, and processed foods from our daily lifestyle and diet. When I wrote the Smart Mom's Guide to Essential Oils, my intention was to demonstrate how easy it is to create inexpensive green cleaning and personal care recipes with essential oils and just a few ingredients. I will link to the book in the show notes so that you can check it out and see for yourself how easy it is to create a non-toxic home in less than 10 days while improving your hormones, your mood, your energy, and so much more. Now, I also want to invite you to check out Laura's incredible course, My Tools for Teaching Toxicity. 
And you will find the link to her course in the show notes for this episode on my website, drmarisa.com, episode 10. And that is D-R-M-A-R-I-Z-A.com. Well, thank you so much for stopping by and listening into the Essentially You podcast. Coming up next, I'm going to be sharing one of my favorite episodes with you, and that is all about my top three benefits for using aromatherapy. Now, aromatherapy changed my life several years ago, and millions of families around the world use essential oils for multiple health benefits. Now, this episode will specifically focus on the power of aromatic usage and the easiest way that you can benefit from using aromatherapy. So you're not going to want to miss it. And lastly, I would love to hear from you. What are you loving so far on the podcast? And what would you like me to dive more into? Please take a moment and rate and review the Essentially You podcast on iTunes. That way I can get to know you even better and continue to create a podcast that you love. Well, it was such a pleasure to connect and I can't wait to see you on the next episode. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye.